passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the post-wrestling site. A-E-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Rewind a Dynamite. I am John Pollock, joined by Mr. Wei Ting. Oh, I like the pauses. I like the slow delivery. Oh, you did that. That was nice. Wei, where are you going to be on Saturday, April 3rd, beginning at noon Eastern? I'm going to be sitting right here, talking to you and the rest of the Post Wrestling Cafe audience, because I believe, John, that is when Post Wrestling Podcast Day begins. That is right. And ladies and gentlemen, it's announcement time. So we can look up at the sign right in that corner that says post podcast day because it's going to be kicking off, ladies and gentlemen, at noon Eastern with Braden and Davey up next presenting the worst WrestleMania match ever. At 1 p.m., we've got the history of WCW in Europe with Martin Bushby and Benno. 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern. Nate Milton, Andrew Thompson, and Chris from L.A., the Nubian Wrestling Advocates, will be part of post-podcast day. Then at 3 p.m., we've got a special live edition of Turned Out a Punk with Damian Abraham. 5 o'clock, Wei Ting and I will unmute ourselves, and we'll go a full hour with a live edition of Ask Away. And then at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, a full hour, a Q&A with ESPN's own Ariel Helwani. Wow. That's that was the big hellliner announcement, wasn't it? The the Helwani liner, yes. He is going to be uh, our headline attraction on post podcast day. And you uh I'm going to grill him and then I'm going to open it up to all of the viewers and you can ask your questions of Ariel Helwani. So should be a very fun event on Saturday, April 3rd. Absolutely fantastic. What a get. Uh what a lineup. You know, like this, this reads to me like, like our own Coachella lineup, lineup. Anytime like they announce those festivals, you see the big names listed. We got the BDE. We've got Nate Milton, Andrew Thompson. We've got Damian Abraham. We've got the British wrestling experience, John Pollock, of course, but Ariel Hawani, ESPN broadcast tag team champion himself, Ariel Hawani. That's right. I called up Jimmy Pitaro. I said, listen. Post podcast day, he told me I'm familiar. Said we need Ariel Hawani. It's like anything for you guys, no problem. What do you What do you think about uh, What do you think about this NFL package? I I gave him my thoughts. It's like that's a 
some great idea, great insight. And then well, we, we finalized the deal to get Ariel. Well, I don't even know who that is, but that sounds very impressive. Um, it's a very stacked lineup. John, you've been very hard at work negotiating, uh, do, you know, dealing with contracts, but I hope it all you know, works out really well. It's the first time we're trying something like this, and we hope you'll all be there to, uh, to support us and check it out. Yes, we will uh, be going over the lineup in the next week or so uh, leading into it. But again, noon Eastern, Saturday, April 3rd, open to all tiers of the Post Wrestling Cafe. You can listen and watch uh, the entire time if you so desire. There will be uh, chances for uh, listeners to get involved. And of course, Wayne and I will be doing a whole hour uh, Q&A for a live edition of Ask Away. So all of that to look forward to on April the 3rd. But Way that is that is the long term. That's that's a week and a half away. What what do we have on the site as we speak? As we speak, of course, we have yesterday's Patreon review that John and I did of Creed. This is the continuation of our Rocky series where we have moved on to Creed. And I was really surprised at the amount of feedback that we got for this one. I think for many of our audience, this is still a a, a movie that is fresher in their heads and the one they hold very close. To my surprise, I felt this was in contention to be perhaps even the best Rocky film. You have to find out, you have to listen to us to see exactly how our rankings play out. But Creed is a fantastic, fantastic movie that definitely deserves a rewatch. And I, I really enjoyed the conversation you and I had about it. So that's on the Post Wrestling Cafe right now. Our friends at Up Next have a lot of shows. Yesterday they relieved, released uh, Deep Impact, which is uh, Andrew Thompson and Davey Portman appearing to talk about Kenny Omega's appearance on impact last night uh tonight they'll have up next which you can probably download right now as you're listening to this and shot in the dark with john Cena. get caught up in 15 minutes on everything going on with dark elevation new japan strong uh main event 205 live nxt uk you can find out who walter's next challenger is on the uh, uh next nxt uk uh big sh- what if they call it a tv special prelude whatever uh, that's supposed to be and mm-hmm. tomorrow the return of Bushby and Thompson's wrestling adventure. The two of them will be talking about NXT TakeOver Dallas, featuring Shinsuke Nakamura's WWE debut, taking on Sami Zayn, a very well-remembered show. And to celebrate British, the Bushby, I keep messing it up, Bushby and Thompson's wrestling adventure, 25% off of that t-shirt for everybody. You don't have to be a patron. You just have to go to store.postwrestling.com and 25% is automatically applied for this week only. That's right. So go check that out, store.postwrestling.com. We will also have UFC 260 coverage beginning Thursday. I'm going to do a chat with uh, Cody Safdick of the Fight Network and James Lynch, uh, uh, interviewer extraordinaire with uh, such outlets, including Middle Easy, that he is now working with. Uh, James will be joining myself and Cody. Uh, We'll be talking about the latest MMA news and this weekend's card. And then Saturday night, immediately after the pay-per-view, Phil Chertok and I will be live on the Post Wrestling YouTube channel. And we will be breaking down the whole card, headlined by Stipe Miocic and Francis Ngannou for the UFC heavyweight title. And I understand uh, Phil might have some uh, announcement that he will be making on Saturday's show as well. So look out for that. Just announcements aplenty in the post-wrestling world. Uh, So all of that can be found postwrestling.com. We move on over to the news happening today. Uh, We had seen the reports that had been out there, and we even talked a bit about this on Monday. Uh, Well, on Tuesday, uh, PWInsider.com confirmed it, and Wednesday, WWE announced that they are, in fact, moving the Thunderdome to the Yinling Center 
in Tampa, Florida, in the Tampa area. This is the former USF Sundome that the WWE has run uh, many times in the past, including uh, the Royal Rumble in 1995. Uh, definitely a smaller arena than the than Tropicana Field. Uh, but this will begin the night after WrestleMania uh, with Raw. So moving back to the Thunderdome uh, for a amount of time to be determined. Yeah, yeah, we, I think, assumed something like this would happen. What's the capacity of the Youngling Center? I mean, I think it's, it like, holds around, yeah, the capacity doesn't really matter, but just for the, just for scale, it's, uh, it's an arena that can hold about 10,000 people, but, again, they, it really doesn't matter, it's fitting in the, uh, the LED screens and such, it's not like Tropicana Field, I think you'd have a hard time watching an episode of Raw today versus six months ago and being able to even tell the difference. Like you, they very much are not shooting Tropicana Field to look big because there's no one to show. I guess the question would be, you know, if once WrestleMania passes, do you think they would continue to allow smaller audiences in? I'm thinking not. I think as long as you have the Thunderdome structure, which you, you have to look at the fact that they have probably invested a ton into this Thunderdome. So I wonder if that's somewhat curbing their their race back to fans because, you know, in Florida, they could be running shows with fans as the UFC is uh, about to show next month in Jacksonville. Uh, I They had said on their last earnings call that they would not be going back to fans until at least July. I would say that's, you know, a loose target. We, we don't know where things are going to be if there's, you know, continued success with the vaccine. Does that speed up their internal timeline? But I think for the time being, like if 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 there was a time to test out more fans coming, you know, the night after WrestleMania or even starting permanently after WrestleMania might have been that time. They're not going that direction. So I see the Thunderdome as being there. They're comfortable with the Thunderdome and are going to be utilizing that for as long as they need to. And Obviously not racing to the extent the UFC is to have capacity crowds or even limited crowds for that matter. Yeah, I suppose until you really tour, I mean, maybe there's really no purpose in having only partial crowds. Um, I suppose, you know, like an interesting question is um, for for pay-per-views, what they consider uh, or, you know, at this point, SummerSlam, perhaps. Could be possible. Um, you know, if if you're staying in Florida, like. They they would have trouble drawing twice a week for Raw and SmackDown. Like, I don't know what that number would... Certainly the first time you do it, you'd get the most demand. But, you know, week after week, what... Like, we see what AEW is doing. Like, they're trying to get around 1,100 fans. But weekly Raw, weekly SmackDown in the same venue. Um, or even trying to move around Florida. Um, I... I don't know how well they would necessarily do um, week after week after week trying to draw people for these shows. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was an interesting subject, and it was one that we had talked about back when uh, the Peacock deal began. And that was, you know, certain content, will it make its way onto Peacock for a variety of reasons, including uh, current standards and it was discovered on Wednesday several several edits that have been made uh, to past events. Uh, clearly, Peacock, uh, patrons of the Post Wrestling Cafe that uh, watched WrestleMania 6 and realized, oh my god, uh, we cannot put this match with Bad News Brown and Roddy Piper on. So it's gone. Um, 
I w- it was also noted to me the fact that the uh, the infamous uh, Vince McMahon Booker T segment from Survivor Series. This is where Vince McMahon uses the N word and then walks past Booker T and Charmel. That has been edited off. And an- uh, another interesting one that was brought up to me is that the June twenty second two thousand nine. The entire episode of Raw is missing, and that's the episode where Donald Trump comes into the company and and buys WWE for a week. So that whole episode is gone. Um, I don't know. For that specific one, I mean, it's that sounds like a, a bizarre step to take, and maybe there's more to the story to that. I think the others are pretty cut and dry uh, about them obviously making that decision to cut that out. But wait, it brings about a much complicated um, mess that could be sifting through WWE's thousands of hours of content and how much of your resources are you going to dedicate to, I mean, the Attitude Era, just to begin with, where we could spend this entire show going over instances that are going to be questionable to try and put up on, on Peacock's streaming service if they are not comfortable with a lot of this stuff that is in WWE's library. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I do feel like it's part of, you know, proper standards and practices anytime you're a company uh, or any really any sort of broadcaster, you know, like when we're working at the Fight Network, I mean, somebody had to go through every single tape that we received before digitizing it and putting it on air. I feel like NBC at this point is just kind of doing the same thing. You know, some intern or some guy has to sit there and make sure that everything uh, fits within their standard. Um, it's It's an interesting conversation because it really does highlight to a mainstream um, network what in the WWE's catalog is deemed to be um, offensive and not appropriate for, for their services. Uh, of course, like WWE themselves have gone through processes like these themse- uh, uh, themselves before and have, you know, probably censored a bit on their own WWE network, but um, maybe this is a higher level of, um, you know, strictness and, and, you know, understandably so when you're dealing with uh, NBC and Peacock. So it's a move it, it like clearly really is. I mean, the like I did cross reference today with like the, the international version of the network where it appears this stuff is still up there untouched. But, you know, certainly it seems like Peacock has, you know, a higher standard of what they're comfortable putting on their service. It's just if like if the, if the line is like racism like there's going to be a lot more than these two clips we're talking about and you go Mm -hmm. through some of those raws uh from 97 onward and you can go throughout wrestling's history there's the subject of like chris benoit does that pass their their standards of do we want to have this on our network it just it opens up quite the quite the complex um maneuvering that peacock has to do and you you kind of have to wonder is this going to be worth their while for these archives that are going to be satisfying a relative small number of your fan base that are largely going to be consuming all of the newer and live content because to go through all of these old episodes and pick out stuff like you are going to have to do a significant amount of work to go through these and there will be a lot of editing required. The Trump one is an interesting uh, one to me because, I mean, I haven't seen that episode of Raw probably since it aired, if if I even did at the time. So I can't exactly tell you what it, what it was content-wise that made them pick that one out of, you know, the numerous Donald Trump appearances that we've had. 
Um, but it also suggests that, I mean, you know, w- one single problematic figure is enough for them to take out um, the entire episode. And certainly when you go through wrestling in the WWE's catalog, uh, there, there are several problematic figures. I do think they will draw the line with, I don't know how you would possibly edit every single Chris Benoit appearance out of the WWE archive. Like that'll make a lot of those shows and pay-per-views just maybe um, unintelligible uh, in many cases. That I think is a trickier task that they might just kind of let go. Personally, like I feel, um, I I feel like it, it. Yeah, like these things need to be kind of discussed. Like even history with like you know Roddy that Roddy Piper promo. To me, like I I I think if you were to leave it on, putting a graphic up there at, off the top of the of the show, just kind of telling telling the audience, um about what they're about to watch what what this represented back then that doesn't necessarily um you know reflect the company's values right now i feel like that would be a better way of handling something like this but i mean nbc has their own standards and and they're very different from um uh, you know maybe the wwe's internally yeah i mean you're making these um edits it doesn't erase the fact that this company did these things and this was their belief at that time of this is how we believe we are going to connect with our audience. I think like, it does put a mirror up to your history and what you deemed um, valuable and for consumption. And you go through that that period of time. It's it's an interesting look at that, especially that Attitude Era period. And there's a lot of reasons that period was successful, but it was like that content found its audience, and that is that is a part of WWE's history. There's also like the the mixed message of you know, understanding like this problematic content from your past and they are going to be putting Hulk Hogan front and center for WrestleMania. It's like there are, there's that dichotomy as well involving Peacock. Absolutely. Yeah. It's um, anytime something like this happens, you know, any form of editing that occurs attached to WWE footage. I mean, it's an interesting look at maybe, um, you know where, how where much wrestling person. kind of skirted by real criticism when like there was yep. criticism over some angles but i mean largely pro wrestling has drawn a pass throughout its history by and large when it has come to uh st- stuff like this that it's it's wrestling and it has largely gotten a pass and this is peacock i think think taking the step forward that it doesn't get a pass and it's also noteworthy the fact that peacock it seems they are the ones taking this proactive step because they did not want to await that backlash and mm-hmm. how about this we can end on this do you think that backlash would have been forthcoming given all of this stuff has lived on the wwe network is it peacock believing that they are going to attract a lot of non-wrestling fans to this service that are going to be going back into archives and finding wrestlemania 6 you're saying you're asking if if peacock expected this I guess, I guess were you ex- did you think that there that there would have been a backlash to a lot of this older content because it's not like this is going up for the first time it's been on the network mm-hmm. since day one yeah and, and you know if there would be backlash it probably wouldn't be from a wrestling audience but maybe from a non-wrestling fan tuning into WWE content for the first time on Peacock and who knows who knows if, if that would be the case but uh, clearly Peacock didn't really want to take those chances and I can't blame them 
you know like we i don't we, i don't we, either like that stuff it's like there's no defense of you know the these you know the the booker t thing with the piper thing and there's uh, my point is that there is such a long list of stuff you can attach to that that what like what are you getting yourself into if you well, are the, the, like the first crown jewel show like with all the Saudi oh, Arabia that's, propaganda. That's that's a horrible look. And that and that doesn't even have the excuse of being like a generation removed that the WWE can claim, you know, it was a different time. That was three years ago. And the, and also like going forward, you know, like let's say if they go back to Saudi Arabia, and they definitely will. Um they're already pretty like, you know, um, I guess uh, reserved about um a lot of the Saudi stuff. But I mean, this is now these are show, shows broadcasting from Saudi Arabia in coordination with the Saudi government that are going to be broadcast on NBC's Peacock. You know, like it, what what kind of problems does that uh pose? Yeah, I think that, you know, the Peacock deal was a huge um deal when it was announced. The the underlying effects of this deal are going to be it's going to be very interesting to watch um, you know, it, how Peacock navigates this what are they comfortable with we kind of know how far the line is with wwe and their comfort level peacock it seems much more conservative yeah yeah and understandably so they're a yep. far bigger company with uh, with um maybe more eyeballs uh we'll talk a little bit about uh raw numbers from monday uh they were kind of in line a million eight hundred and sixteen thousand viewers 0.53 in their demo. So they were down 5% in the demo. They were fourth on cable. So it was uh, NCAA basketball coverage uh, that occupied the top three slots. And I guess the, the story of this week, it was similar to last week. While their their demo figures were largely down from last week, including some big ones with adults 18 to 34 and women 12 to 34, we did see increases uh, primarily in hour two uh but especially so in hour three. So you could look at um, Way's favorite discovery about daylight savings time affecting the second hour. Uh, but the fact that hour three was up in most of the demos, I mean, that that to me is a very good sign. They they were still down 8% in viewers in the third hour. Uh, but in the demo, this is the second week in a row, they grew in the demo throughout the show by 2%. And a number of other groups also grew in that third hour. So I do think that this is... It was a slightly lower audience this week, but the audience primarily grew throughout the show, and that's always a good ratings pattern for a show in terms of hooking people and and showing growth, obviously. Interesting. So do you credit the summoning for any of that? I mean, I think that everyone was ready for a summoning. It was time for a good old-fashioned summoning at the end, and what a payoff you got at the end. So uh, how could you have left disappointed? It It is interesting because we have seen past... Uh, shows built around Randy Orton Fiend segments uh, that have done the opposite. So this, I mean, it was very clear by the time you were getting to the third hour, you realized that was what was going to close the show because uh, I don't know how you tease attempted murder and and then follow with a match. Although this company is very good at, at pivoting. We did see Bray burnt in a uh, coffin once, didn't we? And moved on midway through the show. Burnt in a coffin? Well, Wasn't he burnt put in a real. casket? He was putting something and Randy lit, not, lit him on fire on Raw, didn't he? I, I think we got one burning a quarter with the character, so yeah, yeah. F- f- burning flesh. That's that's pay per view quality, but in inside of a box, that's that's TV worthy. Um, so those are the raw numbers. So it looks like a uh, at least a good pattern uh, for this show as they uh, amp up for WrestleMania. Two more WWE Hall of Fame announcements. Way 
this year going in. Kane and the great Kali. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh very deserved. Uh why not? There's you know, they fits. They were in the WWE. They are what, wrestlers. What segments <laughs> sorry, sure. which which highlights of Kane's career, given his angles he's been involved with, uh, would Peacock be willing to air? I think they definitely have to hit on some of the more atrocious, like, ridiculous stories. I mean, that is as much of the Kane character as any of the good parts. In fact, I will tell you, for me, my enjoyment of the character comes with more of the ridiculousness. Uh, they'll talk about See No Evil. They'll talk about um, Katie Vick, without a doubt. And I think just his overall longevity in the business, you know, like all the highlights, Team Hell No. Uh, 25 years in the company. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. That's more than, man, how many people has he, like, are, are, are even above him? Is there anybody? No, it's like Taker, Sean. Uh, he was in, but he was in that. right around the same time as Hunter. It was roughly around the same. He might have been in a little earlier than Hunter, but that's, like I, that's kind of But the is there... Is there is there like a record for like number of matches? Because I feel like Kane had more consistent like full time years than maybe some of those others, but I could be wrong. I'm sure it will be discussed. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like like he was still working a fairly full time schedule up until a few years ago uh, when he did start to wind things down. But um, and, you know, it's a, it's a character that I really did not think this Kane character would have had anywhere close to the shelf life it, it did. I mean that and did become the character that I think they they could get the craziest ideas that wouldn't fly with the Undertaker that Kane would just willingly take and you got necrophilia you got impregnating Lita I mean electrocuting well, Shane McMahon's balls uh I can go on those are some of the more ridiculous years but when we say character I mean we really do mean like sort of a a whole maybe kind of uh palette of different types of Kane, much like the undertaker, you know, the, the character has really changed over the years into various forms. So do you think that they make reference to, you know, him being a mayor right now? Oh, I think so. Yeah. I think so too. Like you, you mean, you mean like during the speech, if he brings it up or, well, like during the, uh, the video package, like they haven't necessarily called that out on TV itself, but like, you know, and, and, but like these, these speeches are typically kind of out of character. So yeah, I'm sure they'll, kind of promote him as um whatever he is in real life yep and then uh the great Kali. um it, it did note in the um uh the indian express that uh uh did a story on this that the hall of fame is actually airing on uh sony uh on their sports channels in india uh so that does make sense that he is going in i guess that is a a qualification other than that that great title run he had uh, I mean, in storyline credited with the uh, Punjabi prison match. Sure. Yeah. I don't know if like anybody looks at like in-ring accolades as any sort of like qualifier. Like the, the show. You don't think the, so? You, you don't think <laughs> no. this is honoring um, the great Kali? Um, a, a guy that you could certainly argue of any WWE champion, um, like in-ring wise, I, I think he'd be alone as like the, at the bottom. Skill wise. That's in the WWE Hall of Fame or in wrestling it overall? Any WWE champion, anyone who has held the WWE World Championship, like the worst wrestler, I think You're Greg Cully has right. that. I think he has that pretty uh, secure. You could be right. But, I mean, certainly the, we know why he's going in because, you know, the man continues to be, I think, a, a, somebody who's made a big, big mark in the industry in that part of the world. 
He's he's I, a he's a, is a celebrity in in John, India. Yes, I once I, I once went to like Abu Dhabi and I asked people for their favorite MMA fighters, and this one dude <laughs> said, "Number one, Craig Kali." Like so, that tells you right there. People think of him as a legitimate threat to this day. You sure he didn't say the great Khabib? Pretty sure he said the great Kali. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, you know, sure dog, all violence team, the great Kali, pound for pound, number one. Um, Impact, a few notes here for upcoming shows. So the Hardcore Justice event that is happening April 10th, uh, they have confirmed it will be at 3 p.m. Eastern time, noon Pacific, and not going head to head with WrestleMania the first night. I would say a wise move, as we had discussed. Yeah, I think so, too. And, and in fact, I think a great compliment to somebody's WrestleMania, you know, tailgate party, if they choose to have that. But the impact I think I think it's now. a very good time slot. It's a very good day. And I think there are, you know, there there will be people that are yeah going to watch Impact and go right into WrestleMania. I think this was a, a very smart move by Impact to uh, move it up. Um, and on top of that, speaking of movement in Impact, they have moved Rebellion one night later. So it'll be Sunday April the 25th, and uh, I would imagine that the UFC pay-per-view had something to do with this, not just, it it was a, once they announced the fact that it's going to be the first full capacity event, you knew this was going to be a big UFC show, and it got a huge main event in Kamaru Usman and Jorge Masvidal, and that means not just the fact that you're trying to run the same night, but also that you know, pay-per-view providers, it's like how much attention are you going to get and logistically how how difficult could that be for impact? So I think they're making a very wise move moving to the Sunday night. Uh, we, we talked about this previously. I, I think it was necessary at the very least to at least move the show up so you're not competing with the pay-per-view. I think just putting it to the Sunday night, have your own night. It's a big match that impact has with Kenny Omega and Rich Swan. So I, I think this mm-hmm. was... Um, again, the right move to make. So, um, congratulations to Impact's uh, programming and scheduling department. Yeah, I, I think it's a great move. I think you know, just even um, beyond perhaps you know your Venn diagram of MMA slash Impact wrestling fans, perhaps being swayed more so by the UFC show. It's just maybe more so even the conversation on Twitter that night on social media on news outlets like ours. What's going to be that front page story? It's going to be the UFC that night not going to be so much Kenny Omega and his match with Rich Swan. So being able to spread this out, I, I think a smart move for everybody. Uh, and one MMA note here is uh, it was reported by ESPN today that Misha Tate is coming out of retirement and she is planning to fight July 17th against Marion Renault, who herself is going to retire after this next fight. Uh, Misha Tate retired. Actually, wait, are you aware you were at Misha Tate's retirement fight? No clue. She lost to Raquel Pennington at UFC 205 at Madison Square Garden, and she immediately announced afterward. This is after she had a crazy year in 2016. She faces uh, Holly Holm in March and ends up winning the title. It's a pretty spectacular come-from-behind win. Then she loses it in her very next fight to Amanda Nunez and then loses to Raquel Pennington in November and retires. And now that I think about it, I think you were at all three of those fights. You you could be right. Were you, you at Con- right. were you at the first Connor Nate Diaz fight or no? Oh, oh, uh, the first one. I don't remember, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. They all blur together. I'm sorry. You 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 were definitely at UFC 200, and you and I were both at 200. 
And yeah. we were at 205. So we were definitely there for two of the three, oh. if not all three. But she's Man, still I'm just only in the th- back. I'm just in the back the whole time. Like I, everything blurs together. Um, she's still only she? 34 years old. So she she was one when she announced her retirement. That was one I did not think was going to stick. I definitely didn't think it was going to last, uh, you know, four plus years uh, as this retirement did. She um, has been and I think still is working with one championship. So I don't know how that all uh, works together, but it looks like she will be coming out of retirement. So there you go. That is uh, one MMA note. And all of your news can be found up at postwrestling.com. We have an update today where I went through uh, this Peacock story and just a lot of interesting questions it brings about. And we also have added a WrestleMania week guide. You can go to the top right uh, tab on the site and we've got a list of all the shows happening WrestleMania week, all the matches, uh, links to uh, order the shows and such. So if you want to go check that uh, guide up, we will be updating it daily so check that out. I'll, at I'll also link um, also link postwrestling.com slash mania to it as well. If you want to type that in quickly. Oh, that would be wonderful. Do you, you know, wait in going through uh, this week, every single uh, show that is happening, you know what the main event of WrestleMania week is? What's that? It's a match that will be taking place at the ICW no holds barred event on Thursday, April 8th with John Wayne Murdoch, Akira, and Reed Bentley against the Carnage Crew and New Jack. Wow. Okay. That was a match um, that I came across as like, this is happening on WrestleMania week. This is uh this is wild. You well, know, you never know what you're gonna get WrestleMania week. You never know who's gonna show up. There's there's like some sneaky great matches that are kind of just flying under the radar that are happening between the uh, all the game changer shows and IWTV shows. Like there there's some really great stuff happening uh, this week. I mean it's uh it, it you know it's it's something that like we didn't get last year. Like all these shows, it's not the usual WrestleMania scale of shows, but it's quite a lot going on in those uh those couple of days, the Thursday through Sunday. Always is. Unfortunately, we won't be there to experience it. But um, yeah, so some of you online will want to watch every single thing that might be out there. So uh, check out the schedule. And the final note, actually, do you know what today is? No idea. What is it? It's Brandon from New Jersey Day. Oh, you're right. Yes, it is the birthday of the man from New Jersey himself. Our favorite. uh, Honorary Canadian, but not a real Canadian. Sure. Don't think he's ever even been up here. I think he actually has, but I don't think he's ever met. I think that's a lie. I think he's. I don't. I don't even think he's been to Acton, to be honest. You think he's acting about being from Acton? Oh yeah, he's acting, acting and fronting. Well, happy birthday, Brandon. (laughs) We move on to dynamite, and right as we begin, Justin Roberts gave. I think the longest introduction for Kenny Omega. Uh, this was just accolade after accolade uh, for Kenny Omega. This it almost felt like he was talking at two times the speed. That's how fast he was rattling these these facts off. It's quite impressive. He does a great job, I think. So it's a Kenny Omega and Matt Seidel non-title match to start this off. Don Callis is on commentary, noting that Kenny Omega is giving this young up-and-comer a chance, and JR shoots back that Kenny Omega is younger than Matt Seidel. 
So um, th- these two had a really great match. Uh, Omega drops him on the edge of the apron. He's working the back. And then Seidel lands a jumping spin kick and a spinning heel kick. They do the spot where he's got Omega seated on the top turnbuckle, leaps in the air for a Frankensteiner, and Omega gets out of the way. So Seidel comes crashing down on his ass onto the turnbuckle and flips off. Omega kills him with this snapdragon, and then we got the beginning of the V-trigger attempts, but Seidel counters, hits a lightning spiral, and then a meteora is caught with Omega executing a buckle bomb. Uh, We then have Seidel hoisted up for the one-winged angel. It's countered with a poison rana. Seidel goes for the shooting star press, but gets stopped and is crotched. There's a step-up V-trigger on the turnbuckle. Goes for another one-winged angel, and this time, Seidel does a roll-through for this incredible near-fall. And then it's one final V-trigger with one final winged angel. In 11 minutes and 29 seconds, Omega wins. Uh, I thought this was just a great opener involving these two, and probably the best Matt Seidel match we have seen in AEW. Yeah, I think without a doubt. Um, the most high-profile match for him, and I thought he came out, out of this looking really good. You know, all memories of that, like, uh, shooting star press bots from that Battle Royal, I think by this point are forgotten. We all know how great this guy is, and he really got to show it here. Um, I really got into that final near fall. I I couldn't even really tell what Seidel did, but he did this, like, remarkable transition from something holding the ropes into that victory roll into that near fall with Kenny kicking it at 2.9 that I nearly bit on. I'm not saying I did, but I definitely nearly bit on it. And I think that's no easy feat considering that there was zero chance of a title or a side out beating Kenny Omega really in this when you think about it. But um, all in all, they definitely got me. I I really like just the, the idea of this match too, doing a non-title match where I think you've been so, it's been so ingrained in you uh, not just in WWE, but WCW as well. Like the non-title match, it's almost this giveaway that the champion's going to lose. And therefore, it means a whole lot less when a when a champion loses. I think you've got to do these types of matches where it's non-title, the champion still wins. So it is incredibly important whenever Kenny Omega drops a fall at any point. Um, and it didn't need to be here. I, I think it helps that Kenny's singles matches are so rare so rarely seen on dynamite that they still feel special. They still feel like an attraction. Um, so you don't have to have the title on the line. Kenny Omega simply appearing on dynamite in a singles match is enough. Yeah. Alex Marvez interviewed the dark order and we've got hangman page hanging out in the background and John silver is preparing for his match by <laughs> practicing, getting out of the way of coffin drops as Alex Reynolds and Stu Grayson, uh, play trust and fall back, and then they're caught, and then Alan Angels goes to do it, and they just let this guy crash onto the couch behind them. Uh, it's very amusing. This was hilarious. It was, like, uh, creative. I mean, you know, played into the Darby Allen finisher really well. Exactly, I think, the type of segment you probably would have seen on TNT. But, uh, sorry, on BTE, I mean, but translated to TNT. So, um, more of this. I, I, I love seeing this part, part of the Dark Order, and it was really nice to see that Brody Lee painting on the wall as well. Uh, Page then asked Silver on his own, are you nervous? And he told Silver that, don't worry, either way, these guys will be proud of you. And I think, you know, giving like this, this indication of Page, like these, these are real friends that, that care about one another, this group, this is more than just, uh, 
this is, uh, I guess, breaking down Page's distrust he has of groups. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So this said a lot for Page's own history with the elite. So why doesn't he just join the Dark Order properly? Because he's got the he's got a commitment issue. Mm. He was burned. He was burned right. by the elite. You're right. Yes. He's single like and still wants to mingle. Um, but he does secretly want a relationship. Of course, yeah. He's you know, yeah. He's out, but you know, he he does want to settle down. But can his heart take it? These these are the questions. This this is a love story like that Hangman Page oh. is engaging in. Oh, I love it. Cesar Benoni versus Hangman Page. Uh, Benoni was using an imaginary lasso to try and tie up Hangman. Didn't work. Like a like Wonder Woman. Oh, wait, that's a imaginary. Or invisible jet. An invisible jet. Okay. I haven't seen yeah, Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, there's a Pescado by Page, but he gets caught and slammed on the apron. He fires back with strikes, can't get Benoni off the apron, and then gets tossed with a slam, comes back with a pair of lariats, uh, overhead suplex, and then hits the buckshot lariat. Two minutes, 15 seconds, and he chugged the beer. Good Quick. showcase for pa- for Page, yeah. Just, you know, pretty much a exhibition match for him defeating a larger opponent. He continues to, you know, despite, I would say, a pretty lackluster feud with Matt, in my opinion, he, like, Page still feels like a pretty hot character, ready to be inserted in a main title program at any time. Um, so I think they're keeping him warm, like, pretty well. Earlier in the day, Lance Archer said he looked up to Sting. There wouldn't be a Lance Archer without Sting. It should be his time. And says the bat is something that back in the day, people paid attention to Sting for. Now they're going to pay attention to me. Sting is one of the greatest ever, but they're going to remember my name. I like that, like all these heels, even if they're about to face Sting, like show him a great deal of respect. And I would say that feels very different from, you know, the last time we saw him in the WWE where um, you didn't get that as much. You know, here he is being portrayed as sort of like the ultimate level that somebody in their wrestling career can get to. And no matter how limited the guy might look in the ring in the future, like just to be able to continue to give him that level of status will make him feel like a big deal anytime he appears. So I really like that. I thought Archer sounded great here. I I was, you know, I think like many people, perhaps a little bit disappointed that they didn't stick to the babyface turn for the guy and are reverting him back to being a heel. But I mean, you can understand if the, the goal was to pair him with Sting, why they might want to delay that a bit. So I'll let it go. I thought he sounded so good that I really think that it's time to move Jake onto somebody else. Somebody who could actually use Jake the Snake Roberts, somebody younger who can't really speak for themselves. Because I think Archer really gains nothing from that relationship. And in fact, some of those segments aren't as good with Jake doing half of the talking. So I think Archer is more than ready to you know break off on his own. Who could you pair Jake with? Varsity Blondes. <laughs> What? No, we put him with Jurassic Express. Come on, you got to put the snake with the reptiles. Oh, okay. That's, no, um, that, that wouldn't work. That's an either. interesting combination. Yeah, who could, who could you pair Jake with? I don't, I don't Bear Country, maybe? I don't, I don't know. Just, <laughs> Bear some, Country. Like that. Oh, you're a bunch of weenies. <laughs> I needed my hot dog promo this week. We were missing that. Uh, I really liked what they did here. This is not done enough in wrestling, period. And that was taking a pause from, like, Dynamite, one thing, 
Their pacing is go, 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 go. We're always moving forward. It's a very fast-paced show. Dude, and you we don't have this- to tell me trying to take notes for this show is like, oh, It's busy. God. Yeah. It's a- Sometimes it's- too busy. Sometimes it's too much going on um, yeah. uh, to that extent. But I really liked how they took this pause to go back and revisit the Lights Out Unsanctioned match. These are segments that typically, you know, you avoid doing. Like the the history has been these types of segments are, you know, you either fast forward or it might be an excuse to just flip the channel. But the more important part was you were cementing this match and its, and its importance by re- revisiting it, showing the post-match uh, clips from Thunder Rosa, and then it set up. This next segment where Tony Schiavone was with Britt Baker, who calls it uh, – Tony calls it one of the best matches they've ever seen on Dynamite. The crowd is kind of mixed to Baker here, and she said she's not impressed. See, see they were mixed because, like – I mean, I feel like a lot of people are actually cheering her. But then, like, you have people ringside, like a part of the crew and extras who I suppose were told to boo her or maybe they just thought to boo her because she was a heel. Like it was definitely geared to for some sort of big baby face reaction, don't you think? It kind of was, yeah. And I think it actually worked for the promo that you know she is still the heel here. They were not trying to baby face her in any way, but yeah, it did kind of give that opening that you know everyone was blown away by this match last week. But she just takes over, grabs the mic. She's not impressed with the audience after what she went through last week and calls them dumb, delusional, and disrespectful. Thunder Rosa should be thanking me because now she will always be remembered. I wrote the history with my blood. Everyone is talking about me and doesn't need the adulation from legends and experts. Notes that Mick Foley needed 20 years to become a hardcore legend. I did it in one night. What a great line. Great. She had 87 thumbtacks to take out of her back. She had blood flowing in her eyes, yet she saw everything so clearly. Tony Khan is going out, getting all these legends, yet he's got the biggest one right under his nose. I put AEW on the map, and those three letters come second to the most epic letters in this industry, DMD. If last week was a home run in-ring performance, this was Britt Baker's finest promo that she has cut. It was phenomenal. Totally agreed. Absolutely agreed. You know, it's it's all well and good to have a great match, but if it's not mentioned or f- talked about or forgotten the very next night or the next week, it's as if, you know, it doesn't matter, or at least it, it doesn't matter as much. You really do extend sort of the life and legacy of that match that much more by bringing it up again, and especially when the quality of the promo from Britt Brit Baker was this strong. Uh, I thought she was great. This was the exclamation mark on the statement that her and... Thunder Rosa made last week, and it seems to continue the feud. Yeah, I think it leaves the door open, and I I think that how do you this, how do you do a, that a, another match after what you just had? Well, I don't think you can do anything with the two of them for a long time. I think I think you got to right. keep them separate for a long time, and mm-hmm. and do and it's going to be difficult. Like you have to, you can't outdo. I think what you presented last week. I I think that would be. There, there will come a time, though, that you can promote that rematch, though. Yes. Oh, Barbar um, Explosion, like we said. Oh, well, yeah, yeah we will see about that one. But this I, I, this is really just cementing, like, the legend of this match. And that's part of, you know, that that's part of, you know, making these matches big is telling your audience repeatedly 
how big some of these moments are so that they remain remain in your head, especially in this era where the quality of wrestling on a weekly basis is through the roof and it's very much on to the next big match. And sometimes you as the company need to shine a light on what you've just presented so that it has that 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 resonance with your audience. I would love it if they started doing this for, you know, some great like this this we uh this match you might have seen that was great if it was on elevation or dark. You know, something like that just to kind of remind the audience what they were missing. If I had one, you know, to 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 com- like make a minor complaint about this segment, I wish she came out selling injuries for the match just a little. I know in real life it was like 2 weeks since the match, but I mean, we don't know that watching the TV show. I I would have just loved like if she came out with a bit of a limp or with a bandaid over that cut on her forehead or something. Just a reminder that what they went through last week was a war with consequences and not just sort of a one week long inconvenience that she walked away unscathed from. That's a that's a fair comment. Even bring the the wheelchair back for a week where Rebel wheels her out. You know, I think very no- notable that they didn't have Rebel out for this. No, I mean because this and, and that could be a future comedy. that that could be something as well like. She is. She fires Rebel and blames her for the loss. Sure, yeah, but I think like they wanted to pr- probably get away from the co- comedic aspect of it, and maybe there is something to like ultimately mm. wanting to push her into a babyface role as well. She will be a significant babyface one day, uh, but mm-hmm. I think you have tons of mileage left as, as a heel. And now, um, I know you haven't seen NXT yet, but Adam Cole is going to have to outdo Britt Baker with an unsanctioned match against Kyle O'Reilly at Takeover. Damn, good luck. Wow. Yeah. So, okay. But it's not a lights out. It's just an unsanctioned match. <laughs> okay. I don't I don't think they'll do thumbtacks, though, in NXT. Uh, th- thumbtacks wouldn't, wouldn't shock me. Man, what was the last time they did, though? Thumbtacks. The last time they did tax? Oh, yeah. I, I oh, have to... Been Foley, right? No, no, no. They've done plenty of tax since Foley. Really? Wow. Yeah. Christian's in the back with the Varsity Blondes and Dante Martin, and he's giving them advice on tag teams. So Frankie Kazarian appears and notes that he also lives by the mantra of outwork everyone. He's beaten everyone, and he asks Christian, when does the work part begin? <laughs> this is great. I love it. Can you imagine like being the new guy at work, and then your colleague comes up to you and asks, when are you going to get off your ass and actually do something? <laughs> when are you going to get to work? It's loader? true. Like, Christian's just kind of, like, hung out in the back. Like, what's he doing tonight? Why was he here this week? What was he yeah. here to do? Like, He's chill. talking, eating and catering, yeah. I bet. Yeah. He addressed Cranky Frankie and noted their, their history uh, without bringing up TNA. And the work begins next week. And I need an opponent. So Frankie says, okay. And tells him to watch his match on Elevation. Because seven years is a long time to be out of the ring. So somehow by watching this match on Monday, that's going to shake the ring rust off. Maybe he's not watched wrestling in seven years. Well, we know that's not true. <laughs> Guy was a bloody analyst on, on FS1. Oh, he watched true. a lot of wrestling, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so nonetheless, I mean, these two had a great pay-per-view match back, I want to say 2008 in TNA. Uh, it's, it's many years later. It's probably like 13 years later, but, um, nonetheless, we're getting Christian's first match next week. I thought maybe they would save Christian for two weeks from now. 
Are you surprised at all we haven't got any announcements from AEW uh, getting ahead of themselves for two weeks from now when they are going against TakeOver? I thought maybe they would do the uh, the two-week build for something tonight. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't even think about it, to be honest with you. I mean, they still have time. Maybe they don't want to, you know, get too far ahead of themselves and have too much on people's minds. I also don't know how worried they might be about TakeOver, like, one week, because... That's the last time they'll ever have that competition, right? Um, it's interesting, like seeing Kaz here because, like, I know this like SCU Chris Daniels story is still ongoing, but it feels like Taz has already turned heel. Uh, Sky has not officially left SCU as far as I know, and he's a complete heel now. And I don't even really care because, like, they're not reminding us that this Daniels thing is even going on on Dynamite. And Kaz is just so entertaining as a heel. I thought he was hilarious here. Uh, the six-man tag was the Varsity Blondes and Dante Martin, with Christian's advice, taking on FTR and Sean Spears, who had uh, the whole pinnacle in their corner. Uh, they got the heat on Pillman, a great aggressiveness out of Dax Harwood, and Martin did a big moonsault off the top, landing on his feet, and a garrison hit a double spear. The babyfaces tease a triple dive, but gets stopped when Wardlow stands in their tracks. Uh, the pinnacle regroups on the floor. They go through the break, beating on Pillman. Then with the advantage on Martin, uh, they hit a brain buster, and then Dax pops him in the air. Spears catches him, C4, pinning Dante Martin. You know, on, most of this match took place in the commercial, and I still find it really hard to watch, to pay attention to matches in picture in picture without sound, with a screen that small. So I honestly don't have that much to comment on. I wish um, they got a bit, a few more minutes, because I, I, I was the same as you. I thought they kind of got... Uh, short change due to the the break, even when it is picture in picture, it's um, shorter than I expected this to be. Uh, But But, they did have this promo after. Well, I thought it was notable that they gave the big win to Spears with his finisher, because I think he's certainly the guy who needs the attention the most. So I think that's cool. And like, he is huge. Like you can't really tell in the WWE and he probably has gotten bigger since he's gotten to AEW. But amongst like other guys in AEW, the man is like, Sort of like the the powerhouse of the team. Well, I mean, other than Wardlow, I guess. You know who looks uh, who's a giant in here is is Caesar Bononi. Like that guy looked mm-hmm. like towering in comparison yeah. to um, Hangman. Yeah. So afterwards, Wardlow attacks Pillman, uh, doing his his knee drop, yanking him off the turnbuckle. Cash Wheeler says that the pinnacle is family. I will live and I will die for these men. Dax addresses Santana and Ortiz and inform the inner circle. This isn't an SNL skit or a rom-com. The marquee says professional wrestling. MJF takes over and says that Jericho isn't breaking the walls down. The only thing he's breaking is the chair he sits down on. <laughs> it's like, His digs at Jericho have been so good. Man, they've been so funny. He challenges the inner circle to come out, but Tony informs them that they're hurt. And MJF threatens Tony and says he has a gift for next week in reference to all of them seeking out titles, uh, but doesn't say what this gift will be and says the pinnacle is always on top. Gifts. What do you think? Uh, Did he say gifts or did he say gifts? (laughs) You know, gifts would be tough to hand out. That would be the updated Photoshop uh, segment, uh, a Chris Jericho favorite of the year 2000. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, pinnacle. Pinnacle. 
I mean, I I think the obvious answer would be like rings or something. You know, that's sort of his gimmick. But um, Pinnacle. Isn't that like a trading card company? Uh, remember yes. those? Yep, I remember Pinnacle. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, maybe you can make trip. I don't know. All right, let's move on. Team Taz, we're in the back. Taz explains that they're all on the same page. Brian Cage even apologized to all of them, and specifically Ricky Starks, for praising Sting last week. Now, during this whole time Taz is explaining this to the camera, Cage is looking uh, very confused by all this. They go one by one with everyone saying they're good. They get to Cage and ask him, are you good? And he just looks into the camera and says, who better? So they, they've established the sort of um, the rift in the, in the relationship. And this week they're patching it up, albeit very poorly, you know, probably like using duct tape to just kind of cover the wound and it's still brewing. And eventually they're setting up for a big explosion. We've seen this with, you know, um, plenty of their stories and breakups so far, and they usually do a very good job of it. So I, I, I continue to have a lot of interest in this and seeing how Cage, you know, breaks out into uh, his, his singles run. Tony Schiavone's with QT Marshall in front Maybe of the he crowd. Get Jake. Brian Cage? Yeah. Okay. No. You know, he Maybe. should really get get his his wife, like Melissa Santos. Like, she should come in. I mean, I know she works for Impact. I don't know what, what her status is, but I mean, those two together, why not? If she's available. Uh, she hasn't been on Impact in a long time. So she I, does, I like, their Twitch streams occasionally. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Shivani is with QT Marshall. Uh, they're out in front of everybody. And he notes that there are a lot of perks of being Cody's friend and points out his wife in the crowd and then says that no one besides Tony Khan has done more work for AEW than me. I won the first bunkhouse match in AEW history. I also keep Co- Cody's coffee hot and I work on his t-shirts. Cody's able to go back to the hotel after a show while I work all night and my wife sleeps alone. So no matter what I ever do in this company, there will be an asterisk next to it stating I'm Cody Rhodes' friend. And they start chanting Cody's friend at QT. So to get out of his shadow, he is proposing an exhibition match next week between friends to prove he can hang with the very best in AEW. I refuse to take meaningless bumps in that ring as long as I'm in Cody's shadow. So Cody comes out. He's got his arm in a sling from the shoulder injury. And he says his heart isn't into this, but he will accommodate QT and the fans by having this exhibition, and he'll even make Arn Anderson the referee. And he tells QT that, do not take this as threatening, but I promise not to hurt you. (laughs) When I put the figure four on you, I will relinquish the hold. You are a friend, and we can have this match friend to friend. See, what a a dick line that is. You know, Who it's could great... not be cheering for QT in this match next week? You just want to see him pop this guy and beat him. Totally. Absolutely. And I wonder if that was the intent because QT the entire time it has had been to a be. heel. Well, QT the entire time has been a heel. I mean, I do think the intent really is to kind of like just create the rivalry, right? Right. And a, a, a sort of a, a line like that, a backhanded compliment like that, you know, a, a demeaning line like that from Cody. When I lock in my figure for on you. I'm going to let go because I know there's no way you'll be able to get out of it yourself. Um, if that was the intent, I thought Cody did a great job. And QT did th- a great job. I think when it comes to certain characters, I would put Cody in this, 
even Lance Archer earlier, I think they do want to have characters that they can shift back and forth for different yes. scenarios. And I understand that thinking, but it does ask a lot of your audience that is going to leave them puzzled into how they are supposed to react. And like, you can do like shifts of this and you know, there's times in new Japan that they do it very effectively, but by and large, I think it's very tough when you are trying this kind of thing. And this to me was more than subtle. This was uh, to me. I thought the heel thing was the reality show video that was to come (laughs) afterwards. We'll, we'll get talk there. about that later. Yeah. Uh, then they made this interesting announcement during the next match that their next live dynamite will be in two weeks on April 7th. So they'll be live the night of the first night of takeover. But then on the Friday, April 9th, they are doing a non-televised event at Daly's place. Interesting. Okay. Any so this, purpose? do you think that like this could be for some other reason that we're not aware of, um, or it could just be, it's a three-hour drive from Tampa. Do you think that this is somehow catering to fans that are going to be in the Tampa area that might want to go watch AEW on the Friday night? It's it's very interesting. Yeah. I mean, have they ever done a non-televised event for the sake of it? Nope. They have not. Everything and- AEW has done has been televised. They never got around to house shows before the pandemic. They've also stated that they would never run – they would never go to the WrestleMania city. They've said that's WWE's weekend. And I guess this, it's like they're running their home building uh, that just happens to be three hours from the WrestleMania site. But I just wonder what, like, unless they are shooting something or it's being done for some other reason that we're not aware of, it just seems like a lot to do for what's going to be, what, 1,100 people? Mm-hmm, yeah. In the same market that you're running bi-weekly? It just, I, I don't know, maybe they feel like there's going to be an outside audience that is in Florida that can sample AEW that night that would well, not regularly come for a Dynamite taping. Do you know if Dynamite is live that week? If there are Dynamite tapings that... that, that yeah, it's yeah, live on the Wednesday. So they, oh, okay. in theory, they're going to be at Daly's Place Wednesday, Thursday, and now this event on Friday. Who knows? You know, maybe there's something... Maybe we'll find out in the future. Maybe, I mean... They they are taping so much more now that maybe they could use the extra time. They said non-televised, but that, does that mean non-YouTube? Yeah, they said non-televised. That doesn't mean they won't be shooting it, and potentially for some other project that we're not aware of. Interesting. Then we had the six-man. The Young Bucks and Brandon Cutler against Phoenix, Penta, and Laredo Kid. Uh, there was a inset promo early with uh, Alex Abrahantis as the translator. And Jim Ross is reflecting on Ray Phoenix and Nick Jackson, that excellent match they had that he called one of the best matches he's called ever. Uh, Laredo Kid was in early, and man, Laredo Kid, I thought, was the star of this match. Phoenix looked pretty fantastic, but to me, it was Laredo Kid that was the star of this thing. I thought he looked fantastic. I actually thought Brandon Cutler looked really good. They like gave he, Cutler a lot. Uh, like, there was, there was. He he certainly was not like the the outcast in this match. They mm-hmm. he was given a lot here, but um, there was a they built up to a springboard swanton by Cutler to the floor, followed by an enormous moonsault by Laredo Kid onto everybody on the floor. Uh, the Bucks hit made in Detroit. They went through the break. Phoenix comes off the shoulders of Penta with a splash to Matt and Nick. Um, just 
a ton of stuff here. Huge Centon Atomico from Phoenix. Nick gets into the striking exchange with Phoenix. They trade super kicks, spinning thrust kick by Phoenix, and then a huge lariat from Nick as both go down. That was a tremendous sequence. And then Phoenix rolls over Cutter and lands in a tombstone position, and they hit the indie taker on him. Nick with a Escalera to the floor, and then Matt leaps off the turnbuckle and kills Phoenix with this DDT onto the edge of the apron, killing this guy. And then it ends with Laredo Kid with a one-man Spanish fly off the top to Cutler for the win. Uh, fantastic. Uh, but it, to, to me, it was like, this was the Laredo Kid show. But everyone looked like really, really strong in this. Everybody was awesome. It was incredible. Uh, one of those kind of like... You know, Bucks, Lucha Brothers style matches, that's just like high spots on top of high spots, uh, no breathing room, but in the best way possible. Like, you know, sometimes like this stuff is too much, but like they do the too much so good that it just, it's, it's just perfect. It's so great. Uh, absolutely recommended. Uh, I, 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 I actually, you know, again, continue to think that Laredo kid looked great, but to me, like Brandon Cutler to me was, was almost a bit, as much of a surprise hit here. Uh, with how good he looked in, in there with the rest. So everybody came out really well. So Kenny Omega runs in and he attacks Laredo Kid. And my favorite moment of the show. Okay, that's not, that's an exaggeration. This is not my favorite moment of the show, but it's up there. When Kenny Omega yelled, give me the mic into the mic. He had possession of the microphone as he yelled at the top of his lungs, give me the mic. And I, I am a very simple person way. I laughed (laughs) so much at this line that it was just, uh, it was fantastic. I am very easy to please. You just have to find stupid stuff like this and you have won me over. I think he needed two mics, maybe one to attack with and another to talk into perhaps. He brings up Fighter Fest in uh, 2019 and their friendship with the Bucks and this choice they made three years ago, how he opted not to stay at his home and the fans that loved him or to go to New York. But instead, I chose AEW, where weekly I would be in front of one critic at post wrestling that was going to refer to me as Ken Chan. I've given him all this ammunition for me. I chose not the not AEW. I chose the Young Bucks. And the vision that you created to make this the greatest promotion on the planet. And yet, you chose Brandon Cutler. You never chose me back. Now, where does that rank? You never chose me back up there with, I want to prove I wasn't a mistake. <laughs> it's up there, man. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if the delivery was Michael B. Jordan worthy, but... Uh, definitely up there. Yeah, this was Kenny Omega. Uh, he gives the Bucks one more chance. One more chance. He puts up the two sweet and then says, <laughs> toss it up for the hard cam. <laughs> <laughs> I think this guy's just, he is trying to infuriate people. And he says, you guys have changed. It's your last chance. And the Bucks walk out on Omega. And then... Omega berates Brandon Cutler, calling him their cameraman, carrying their bags. And Omega turns around, double super kicks from the Lucha Brothers, package pile driver with the foot stomp as Don Callis runs for cover. The Good Brothers are late coming out, and Omega is there bleeding from the mouth with this ridiculous look on his face as the Good Brothers help him up. 
I thought this was a great segment. Um, you know, Kenny with a bloody mouth, barely able to stand, but still giving the gun signs, showing how damaged he was, I thought was great. And this, you know, seemed to cement the breakup between Kenny and the Bucks. Great lines and a great analogy from Kenny. Felt very believable. Uh, you break off Kenny into so many different feuds here. And you elevate Brandon Cutler to seemingly full third man status with the Bucks. So that's great for him. Uh, you can now have, what, like Bucks and Cutler versus the Good Brothers and Kenny. You can do single singles matches with them all. Good Brothers and Kenny versus the Lucha Brothers and Laredo Kid. Singles matches with all of them, too. So in a short amount of time, I thought they accomplished a whole lot. It's fine. Like, uh, it seems like they are, like, Omega, Laredo Kid, they will go back to that match. But I think in the interim, I, I could certainly see Omega and Brandon Cutler some week on TV. Absolutely. Yeah, for there's, sure. As you said, there's a lot that you can go with uh, from, from out of this. So a lot going on here. Uh, there was a Jade Cargill promo talking about Red Velvet making the biggest mistake by coming after her for more. Red Velvet's just a pit stop on her way to the throne. Both are undefeated in singles matches. I look like money. I sound like money. And you're going to be stepping in the ring with that bitch. I like it a lot. Yeah, and Bad Bunny should have had that line on Monday with Miz. I, I mean, certainly the word bitch has been completely overused in pro wrestling, but I thought Jade Cargill made it sound natural here, made it sound good. Good enough to put on a t-shirt that I probably wouldn't buy, but they could do it nonetheless and seems to set up another match with, I mean, sets up the match with Red Velvet now. You probably don't need a mouthpiece, but maybe Jake and Jade the Snake. Huh, Jake and Jade the Snake, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird going from Shaq to Jake the Snake, but um, there have been worse pairings. Oh my god, Jake with Shaq. Jake and Shaq, yes. Shake, Doing anything. Shake like and just- Jake. Shake yeah. Jake. <laughs> like a car ride with those two. I would I would watch for a half hour every week. Shake and Shaq and yeah. Okay. Then they unveil the trailer for a new reality series on TNT Roads to the Top. Sorry, I just got it. Jake Shaq. <laughs> That's what I was looking for. <laughs> Jake Shaq. <laughs> Roads to the top. So TNT is developing a reality series for Cody and Brandy Rhodes. Uh, This is going to be from Warner Brothers Unscripted Television in association with Shed Media. Uh, It's going to be 30-minute episodes, and Tony Khan has an executive producer credit. Um, I guess the first reaction people had was, is this the third hour that AEW has continually brought up? Uh, The fact that it is 30-minute episodes... I would guess not, um, but I, I nonetheless, would not to like they they very much kind of delivered like the insinu like they did not correct people anytime it's been suggested that it's a wrestling program. So mm-hmm. to me, they wouldn't do a non wrestling program for for a third hour. Well, what that should say is that guys, TNT is deep with AEW, mm-hmm. and this is this is not this is the second like per vehicle for Cody Rhodes on TNT after the, the big show, big show, show, yeah, the big show, yeah. show. Um, I, th- I, th- I like, this is another, in theory, there's another television deal for AEW that I'm sure is getting like a nice amount for this, this spinoff. And like what has been outlined over the last little while in the observer, it's been the the female audience like going down with AEW. This is the kind of series that might 
change that. And I'm sure the goal is a very similar effect to what the bell has had with WWE. You know, as somebody who's uh, followed Total Divas for its entire existence, I mean, I, I, I think I, I have an understanding of like the, the very specific audience that show might have and how different sometimes that is from the WWE core audience. And I think a move like this for AEW, despite maybe what I think about the content, I think is very strong for AEW. Uh, number one, you know, continues to foster that relationship with TNT that is seemingly bigger, like, you know, thicker and thicker every single time. You, it's the type of project that'll help them cater to a new wrestling fan base. It's the type of show where an AEW fan might want to, you know, be able to ask a spouse to sit down with them to watch because it is wrestling related. And that spouse might ultimately end up sit down to, on Wednesday to watch Dynamite. So, so there's all that. But then the, to me, there are also the implications about the character uh, of Cody and, and Brandy here. And really for the longest time, like I think I'm not alone in feeling that there's like a real kind of corporate healness attached to this character. Um, and some people might feel it. Some people still think he's the top baby face, but you know, maybe it goes towards like uh, this kind of like, you know, gray area that the, that, that the character can be transitioned to like going back to that baby reveal. I think we understand why they did that. That was probably for this show, right? That gender and, and the Shaq stuff. I mean, they, I'm sure like that's going to be heavily incorporated into this too. Yeah, yeah. But man, it's like there's there's to me there's like a real um, executive kind of like Steph and Triple H, you know, corporate like feeling around this couple that I you don't necessarily get from like sort of the indie bred you know Bucks and Kenny types where. It just feels like they're doing so many outside projects. I'm not. I'm saying this company needs this stuff, so they are absolutely healthy for the company. But as far as their characters go, I think it it's perfect sort of like you know uh, soil to like create these heel characters in the future. I am most interested to ask you if you watch this trailer by yourself or with your fiance, and what this means for our audience. Way will this be? Something that no. is weekly viewing in the Ting household. No. Uh, I don't think so. Um, I, you know, this might be something we'll talk about. I'll probably watch it. You know, I, I'm very curious about these types of shows. So I'll probably watch a couple episodes. But I mean, if this is more like Ms. and Mrs., then uh, I probably won't. We do have a number of great suggestions, though, from the Zoom chat about what we would call a potential review. You want to hear some of them, John? Yes. Long way to the top. Rewind to the top. The long and winding royal roads. Okay, that one's um, okay. And that's kind of it. Okay. We'll work on it. Uh, we go to a promo with John Moxley and Eddie Kingston. Eddie Kingston's got his uh his foot in a cast from last week's attack. Eddie says he has a broken something. This isn't New Japan, referring to the Good Brothers. It's not about selling some tacky shirt. Yeah, I said it. Where they come from, you take one of us out, we put one of you in the morgue. <laughs> Moxley asks how far the Good Brothers are willing to take this. There is a war on the streets of Jacksonville. He doesn't know the Young Bucks, but guesses he owes them one for last week. He's got no patience for this Bullet Club melodrama, and they are playing with live rounds. The Bucks better be willing to get their hands dirty. So this, this is the reality show I want. 
Uh, totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so this is likely the angle that, you know, made up for the lack of explosion that was going to take Kingston out, like you suggested last week. I think so. Yeah. Like this is clearly like this is not Eddie Kingston is coming back a week later from this. Like he's got a broken ankle. And I think this is picking up where the explosions left them high and dry and still had an angle to to flesh out and to move forward with. It's the type of injury that'll still allow him to talk every single week, but not wrestle. Nyla Rose against Ty Conti. Uh, so Conti early on is uh, getting her arm attacked, but then drapes. Uh, she gets draped on the top rope, flying knee from Rose, go through the break, and Ty Conti goes for her hammerlock DD tie, which gets stopped. There's a knee strike from Nyla Rose as she's draped on the middle rope for a two count. Lots of knee strikes here from Ty Conti. The Beast Bomb gets countered for this roll-up, and then it was a bit of an awkward transition here as she kind of kicked Rose off. More knees, and then hits the DD the Ty. Conti gets the win, and then Tony Schiavone just looked left, looked right, and said in his mind, I'm going for it. The DD Ty! For the Conti of three. And that reaction from the rest of the commentary team. Listen, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cast judgment here. I've been there and I've gone for it too. Sometimes it doesn't <laughs> quite hit. The DD tie for the Conti of three. I hope he says it every single time now. You know? That's gotta be his signature line. Um I thought Conti looked great. It was her strongest performance to me on Dynamite, at least. She has great looking knees, great intensity throughout. Something about the end didn't seem all completely right. Something fell apart maybe by the end. And to me, it looked kind of like Nyla Rose was gassed. But it all actually kind of helped with the finish because, like, you're telling the story of a smaller wrestler, you know, beating a, a big one, big wrestler. And I think, like, to me, I kind of took the finish as, like, smaller wrestler beat the big wrestler using her superior cardio. You know, like, Nyla Rose was so winded by the end, she couldn't kick out. And it, by the end, it felt like a really good underdog victory. Yeah, I think the match had its had its issues at, at different points. Uh, but I did like a lot of, from, from, Ty, from Ty's, like, final comeback at the end through the finish, uh, like, I thought she showed a lot. Like, you, you can see the the improvements of Ty Conti and it's continuing like where she will be a year from now. Like she could be a real player, I think in AEW's women's division and she's approaching that level. So I think like she is, uh, she'll look good for, for the most part in this match afterwards, Rose continues to attack her. Vicky's getting involved. Uh, the beast bomb is set up, but then Hikaru Shida runs in with a kendo stick shot then the bunny comes in, attacking Shido with the kendo stick, as well as Conti as well. Matt Hardy, the butcher, and the bunny are watching from the entrance. And then Matt Hardy says the women's tournament was terrible because the bunny wasn't in it. She's been overlooked for too long. And this ends with Matt's group aligned, it seemed, with Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero. There were a lot of like pieces at play here. You know, you have... Sheeta helping the Dark Orders take Conti. And then you have Hardy family offices, Bunny making the safe for the vicious vixens, Nyla Rose. Um, in the end, you just have to recognize that it's like heels versus baby faces. And it's it's fine. It works. Um, I 
I, I assume this is a way to for them to build Tashida versus Conti because Conti is the number one contender. So maybe they'll work together and then they'll do the babyface versus babyface thing. Then we got the big recap of Miro and Kip with Chuck and Orange Cassidy. Did you see the clip of Orange Cassidy on Elevation that they taped tonight and his new entrance? No, I have not yet. No. What is what's the song? So Tony Khan, dude, he has gotten the rights to Where Is My Mind by the Pixies for Orange Cassidy. Wow, that's amazing. Was it's that a pretty good? Used, was did he use it on the Indies or something? No. No, what? he said he, he had said he had gotten uh a theme for Orange Cassidy and he warned people it was not Jane that he has used uh, in the past. And then, yeah, there's like video of this. I actually retweeted this and you can go watch it. But I think that song like rules for Orange Cassidy. So I thought that was it's a pretty great Tony Khan is like, I don't know if like this is him like two in the morning. He's like, I wonder if I can get this song, but I'm all for this stuff. I'd love to know like the decision process to choose that song for this character, but I fucking love it. I'm a huge Pixies fan. Uh, and to know that somehow, you know, uh, Frank Black might be getting a, a cut of, of this AEW money makes me really happy. So that's great. Cool. So next week, it is Arcade Anarchy. Uh, Chuck calls Miro a Donkey Kong looking bastard. And therefore, Kip is Donkey Kong Jr., Orange Cassidy says. I will say this. There was a cool-looking match graphic for next week. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, I mean, the, the biggest draw to me is hearing Orange Cassidy come out to that song. Yeah, he'll come out to that next week, so we'll get to hear that. So in addition to Arcade Anarchy, next week has Hikaru Shida and Ty Conti against Nyla Rose and the Bunny, Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers against the Lucha Brothers and Laredo Kid. The exhibition between Cody Rhodes and QT Marshall with Arn Anderson as the referee and Christian Cage versus Frankie Kazarian. I think that's a very good lineup next week. I think so too. Yeah, looks good. Could Arcade Anarchy headline next week's show? Um, it, if the it's been the long good. build. Like, this is the blow-off to this feud. I mean, it hasn't been a great feud, but this is the blow-off. And I, I think like this could be one of those blow-offs where... I mean, if they have a great performance, it's going to leave people with a very satisfying end to a feud yeah. that's been pretty lukewarm at best. Totally. Absolutely. We've said what we said about the build, but like they can make us forget about it all with a great match. And, mm -hmm. you know, like to me, like last time we saw, what is it? Um, like Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor in a hardcore match. Like it was one of the more, more memorable AEW matches that we've had. So this is their chance to save the whole thing. Scorpio Sky did a video. This isn't a new side of him, just one you haven't seen. He's been screwed over repeatedly. Humility only gives people a reason to underrate you. And then he takes his, he transitions to his big match coming up on Elevation Monday against Mike Seidel. He tells Mike, it's time to pay the rent. He's more than just the one man. He's more than just one man. He is the face of the revolution. Come to YouTube. Yeah, I was very disappointed to see this. You know, the the, the man won that, <laughs> won the, fuck, what was the object that he pulled from the ladder? What was the, the Sonic ring. The Sonic ring. Yeah, he won the, <laughs> let's, 
the 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 cushion the the lifesaver thing and then um you know had had a good heel turn i thought but man the follow-up being this promo was fine but like the follow-up being a match on elevation he's a guy who i think should be on dynamite every single week after that turn uh, because otherwise i really would forget about him you know um so that's disappointing to me that he's not in a more focused role with a bigger name it's we always bring up how this this roster, it's like there's so many people on it and you can't focus on everyone this week. I will say that the the positive that does come out of that, and th- this, it really struck me in the opener when we had um, Matt Seidel with Kenny Omega, is that like it there is a real competition for television time. And for even a Matt Seidel, a guy who is a seasoned veteran, that match, you're watching it realizing this is a huge match for Matt Seidel. He's got to go out there and have one of the best performance, the best performance he can possibly have. And I do like that dynamic that when a John Silver is in this position we're about to talk about, it's a huge deal because there are countless guys chomping at the bit for television time that you are getting that you as the viewer are reaping the benefits of this competition for 120 minutes a week on tnt it's true yeah i mean that's what happens when you have such a bloated roster as they do but i do feel like there are certain projects that should be you know at the forefront of people's minds especially after a recent heel turn and i I would consider scorpio sky one of those so the main event was the tnt championship match with darby allen and john silver began with uh darby allen pointing up to the sky and then this driving uppercut that sent Darby flying through the ropes to the floor, and then he crashed down. Silver takes over, lifted and tossed Allen around the ring, and hit a brain buster for a two count. It's all John Silver uh, during the break. He runs at Darby onto the floor and misses, crashing over the guardrail, and this affects his right elbow, which he would sell for the rest of the way. And as Dark Order is surrounding the two of them on the floor, Sting comes out and gets Dark Order to move away. Darby gets caught in the Queen Slayer as Silver used Anna Jay's uh, rear naked choke. But Allen attacks the arm to break out of the submission. There's an implant DDT by Silver. And from there, we saw a victory roll gets, uh, getting blocked by Silver. He got a two count off of that. And then a pump kick sends Allen flying to the corner. Allen drops Silver off the top. Uh, and then with Allen on the top, he hits a coffin drop to the floor, taking out all of the Dark Order members. Comes in, spun off the shoulders of Silver, only getting a two count. And then as John Silver went for a Brody Lee style powerbomb, it's countered with the code red and Darby catches John Silver and pins him to retain the championship. Very good, very physical, main event worthy match. Uh, I thought they were both fantastic. I thought Silver, I mean, these TNT matches are often, to me, they're supposed to be showcases for the opponents. And I thought Silver absolutely accomplished that. Darby looked great, as always. And notice how didn't do the coffin drop to, to John Silver. Like, he knows. He was, he was uh, practicing the evasion earlier on. That's right. Uh, Sting helped John Silver out and then... or Sorry, helped them up. And then Darby and John Silver bumped fists when Matt Hardy appeared, attacking Darby. And this huge brawl erupts. Uh, we've got Ty Conti out there. All the members of Matt Hardy's crew is there. 
And it culminates with Darby Allen hitting this insane tope suicida onto Matt Hardy on the floor. And that's how the show ended. Seeming to go in a direction of Darby with Matt Hardy. Darby and Matt Hardy, yeah. That, I guess that kind of makes sense. You know, although I do I do want to see like some of the other members of Hardy family office, you know, get, getting getting these chances as well. But I it, to me it almost seems like they're doing a bigger feud between uh Hardy family office and Dark Order possibly with Darby and Sting being linked up with Dark Order, which I think, you know, would very much fit uh stylistically, of course. So, we'll see what they do there. A bit of news from uh, Sean Ross Sapp, who says after the match, um, Darby Allen says John Silver dislocated his shoulder. Which probably would have been the guardrail spot. I mean, not so much um, selling at that point then. Um, I mean, he did fall at a very awkward angle, so um, that does not surprise me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought thought it was a very good main event. Overall, like the wrestling on this show, uh, I would recommend the main event. I would recommend the, the trios match. And the Kenny Omega Matt Seidel match, like those were three very solid matches on tonight's show. Yeah, With a I thought phenomenal it was phenomenal promo from Britt Baker on top of it. Yeah, I enjoyed Dynamite uh, all in all tonight. A combination of great promos and very good wrestling, especially for me the uh, the Lucha Brothers Laredo Kid versus Bucks and Cutler match. So there you go. That was a uh, Dynamite, a pretty pretty entertaining show. I thought all all together. Should we go to the feedback? Let's do it. Well, tonight's show gets a 7.71 out of 10. All right. Cool. We start off with Wolfman. In terms of presence on the screen, no one has Britt Baker or the pinnacle beat. Baker speaks with confidence, unfound elsewhere in any women's division. Visually, the pinnacle looks great as a unit, and I love the entrance presentation, the music, and the retro-ish Tron video is money. I thought MJF and Jericho trying to outheal each other in their match a few months ago was great, and now we get to see it on a grander scale with the two armies at war. I look forward to this feud. Yeah, I do too. We got a Nick from Boston who says, Plenty to love about tonight's Dynamite, but this show felt a bit stuck in limbo. So thrilled that Seidel got to shine in a spot with Omega, but I'm a tad worried that Kenny is beginning to get stretched far too thin with all these storylines. As of tonight, Omega is involved in programs with Moxley and Kingston, the Young Bucks, the Lucha Brothers, Rich Swan, who weirdly wasn't mentioned tonight. Um, they never mention anybody. From, they did, have they ever mentioned Rich Swan at all? On Dynamite, Dynamite uh, doesn't come to mind at all. Yeah, there was. Um, that will be interesting. Like I, like, are you expecting over this next month that this Omega Swan match is pretty much? It's going to be similar to when Omega. Uh, went down for Triple Mania. Like, it's not going to... Re- it'll be promoted on Impact, but not so much on, on Dynamite. So they have, like, almost guaranteed that somebody will be walking away with both those belts. Now, Scott DeMora said flat out, this is not any sleight of hand. There will be one person leaving as both champion. Yeah, and I definitely don't think for a second it's going to be Rich Swan. So I think it'll be Kenny Omega. And uh, I do think, like, leading up to it, you probably get a few, a few more mentions to make it feel like a big deal. If Impact is willing to give their belt to Kenny Omega. Yeah. So uh, th- This is from, uh, th- this is not from the feedback thread, but uh, John Silver writes in, uh, came up short tonight, shoulder is messed up, doctor doesn't think it's too serious, but I'll keep everyone updated once I know. Okay, well, let's hope for the best. Uh, Nick continues, he says, I love that AEW features their champion prominently throughout the show, but I wonder if his upcoming match of Rebellion means that Kenny will be in a holding pattern on Dynamite until April. 
Really enjoyed both trios matches, Brit's promo in the main event. Wouldn't mind Darby pulling a mini John Cena and offering up open challenges every other week. I think that's, isn't that the idea? Like he said last week that he wants to be a defending champion because he was disappointed that he's, he's defended the, the program so, so, um, so infrequently. Sorry, the title so infrequently. Yeah, I think that's the idea. I I wouldn't be doing it every week. Um, I would want to space it out a little bit, but I think that is the idea that you'll be getting regular Darby Allen title matches, it seems like, on Dynamite. Uh, next one up here. This was another enjoyable show. However, four of the six matches ended in a post-match beatdown and three followed by a run-in save. This combined with the frequent use of blackouts for surprise reveals, and it feels like AEW is starting to rely a bit too much on the same formula. The overall storylines are good, but I wish they had a few more ideas up their sleeve on how to progress them on camera. The frequent use of blackouts for surprise reveals. I can't think of one they've done. I just um, blanking. Well, Sting, Sting, Sting is often one. Um, not on this episode, but um, we say the combined use. I anyway. Yeah. Um, I don't yeah. know. I don't watch AEW and see like formulaic. I see quite a fair amount of different things going on. Um, but fair enough. It's it's fair. Yeah, I mean, it's not something that bothers me. Um, because I feel like there's a point in um, you know. It's effective to me. Like the, the all the post match beatdowns that we saw tonight were, you know, leading up to matches that were to be made next next week, and I I I I have less kind of like um, maybe argument uh, or at least criticism of it if if I understand where they're going. Um, but maybe maybe it is stale for some. So sure, let's go to Jesse who says nothing great but nothing awful either. The opening match was good, and Britt Baker's interview was great. I'm interested to see where they're going with Team Taz. Brian Cage's reaction to Taz saying he had org- apologized has me interested. The Lucha Brothers and Laredo Kid versus Bucks and Cutler was fantastic, and the main event was good as well. I'm also interested in seeing where they're going with the Bucks and Kenny Omega storyline. And the women's division, which always has been the weakest part of the show, is getting better every week. With the great match last week and her great promo skills, do you think Britt Baker is now in danger of being one of those heels who gets cheered because of how great her work is? Um, possibly, yes. Although, like, even when crowds were around, I feel like the AEW had a very obedient crowd that wasn't really there to, like, you know, turn on the story. Like, if they know that the reaction that the the performer is after should be a negative one, they will support the performer by booing them instead of cheering for them. MJ says he was uh, disappointed with tonight's episode. Uh, it's cool to see Laredo Kid back, but last I checked, Pac and Ray Phoenix were a team and also a trios with Penta, so what gives? Well, Pac, Pac's dealing with an ankle injury. That was the, the main reason he wasn't involved here. It's so obvious what lazy booking looks like, Matt Hardy's stable, versus good booking, the pinnacle. And Sting standing there during the main event, menacing with a bat was a big distraction. He was not needed there, and I rather have I would have rather watched that main event without him in sight. And... Uh, Goes on to say, one of the biggest takeaways was the Dark Order became the star group with the bits and jokes and the elite broke up. Perfectly he's juxtaposed. Talking B- he's talking about BTE, but he wrote BDE by accident. So we're like, yes. uh, was this not a podcast? So he uh, said, yeah, BTE. All right. So anyway, um, yes, those were his thoughts on the show. I didn't mind yeah. Sting being out there. I actually liked the part at the end where... 
it was kind of Sting giving like his own endorsement of John Silver, but I never felt he was like overshadowing the main event either. I, I actually like the usage of Sting. I mean, I think that that was the entire reason. They just wanted Sting on screen for people flipping through, right? Like, I think that was the whole point. Um, and I really do wonder if there's going to be further interaction with him and Darby with the Dark Order, which I absolutely want to see. So we'll see about that. We got a Sean from Glasgow who says, as much as I enjoy Dynamite every week, I find the formatting unpredictable. Matt Hardy's empire building effort has gone from a mid card subplot to closing the show fairly quickly. It was an exciting cliffhanger though. And I'm curious to see if we get any more interaction between Sting, Darby and the dark order. It may never be the right time to introduce a new leader in the dark order, but it wouldn't hurt to clarify their direction. Raymond from Sacramento, I was in a discussion about Britt Baker's ascension the past two years, and I made the point that at the early AEW shows, people were chanting Bebe at her because of her boyfriend. Well, as the past two years have proven, Britt is her own person, with her career path not tied to anyone else, and has developed quite the persona to go along with the improved ring work. And with everything she's accomplished recently, the DMD that she mimes upon entrance is officially hers. The great live promo tonight solidified that. All right, we go to Noah from Vaughn, who says, I really enjoyed tonight's show. Six Man with the Bucks and Cutler and Laredo Kid and Lucha Brothers was unbelievable. I say it every time on he's on screen, but man, Phoenix is literally a human cheat code. He's just so damn impressive. Speaking of impressive, that main event was one of, one of my favorite TNT title matches yet. Darby and Silver have such great chemistry and are so similar in terms of explosiveness. And with them being 28 and 29 years old, it'll be such a treat to see them face off many more times in the coming years. And the last word goes to Kate. Tonight's theme seemed to be letting guys whose skills you might not have noticed yet have a big moment. I thought that John Silver, Brandon Cutler, and Matt Seidel all look great coming out of their matches, and it made me want to see all three of them more. Same for Laredo Kid, although I don't know how often they can use him. I'm glad that Jericho and the Inner Circle have been off TV for a couple of weeks now, selling the seriousness of the attack on them and allowing the pinnacle to establish themselves. Obviously, this is going to be a big showdown, but there's no need to rush it. Although the story with Kenny, the Good Brothers, and the Bucks is a fairly complex one already, I'm thinking that we might see the Gorillas of Destiny make an appearance on Dynamite. Although they're the New Japan... Tag champions, they aren't currently booked on any shows there, and they obviously fit in with the story of Bullet Club history as the guys who never left. Maybe I just had the forbidden door on the brain, though. No, I think at some point that will definitely happen with the gorillas. It's only a question of when. Do you think that there's really much more conversation between New Japan and, and AEW, you know, beyond this Kenta Moxley thing? I think it's I think it's just limited by the fact that you can't send people back and forth. I think that's why that's the holding pattern that they're in. And I think once that eases up, that's when I think you'll see them revisit things. But I mean, what, what can you do right now? It's true. Yeah. I, well, I mean, at the very least I would expect maybe some uh, new Japan strong, you know, new Japan USA talent making their way back and forth. Or is that not yeah. worthwhile? Cause you have so much AEW talent already. Well, that's it. It's like, when do you want to do, when would a Kenta be most um, valuable? Like you had the Moxley stuff back and forth. And like, if you can't do your full ideas that you have in mind with New Japan, like why have them just coming for one-offs, eating up time when that could be something six months down the road that let, let's do it then when it's more special and, and save it for then. Like there's no, the, the show doesn't need, um, you know, your Florida based New Japan talent showing up now. It's true. And Moxley is still the uh, U.S. champion, so at some point they'll probably have to, you know, do some sort of co-production. Right. Okay, well, 
That brings Rewind to Dynamite to a close. So thank you, everyone, for joining us in the, the live chat room as well uh, tonight for Rewind to Dynamite. We're going to be back on Friday night, right after SmackDown. So we hope all of you join us. Open to all patrons. So SmackDown review. We will also be going through all of your phone calls. And look at that. Impact Wrestling, just on top of things. Wouldn't you know it, that they have released for free on YouTube, Christian Cage versus Frankie Kazarian from 2007. 2007 it was. Awesome. Great. On the ball. They're on top of things. Hey, last thing. Um, you're familiar with Jensen Carp, right? Yes. Like, doesn't he have a wrestling connection, Jensen Carp? He was a writer in WWE. Are you familiar with everything he's been go- that's been going on with him on Twitter? So I literally got a text during Dynamite. Uh, basically, this Jensen Carp thing is insane, and I had no idea what it was. So I literally did like three minutes of like this fish thing and like i i do not know the full story at all it was about three minutes i literally found out about it during dynamite so i mean i'm like on twitter and i see like in my trending topics it's like topanga i'm like oh okay are they doing like a boy meets world like reboot or something so then i just click on this and then all of a sudden i'm just like what because like the story is jenton carp who apparently is a big cinnamon toast crunch fan Bought a box of Cinnamon Toast Crunch and inside found shrimp tails. Like, eaten shrimp, basically. Inside a Cinnamon Toast Crunch. And, you know, like, I guess any consumer would decide to take a photo and uh, upload it asking General Mills what the hell. And, like, General Mills responds to him saying, like, you need to turn this over to the authorities. There must have been tampering. And Man, the hilarity that ensues is insane. Because, like, obviously, like, I guess Jensen Karp's a comedian as well. So, like, he's like, I'm not going to the police and saying, I have, here's the cinnamon toast crunch for General Mills. And then beyond that, it's the internet at the same time finding out that this guy is married to to Danielle Fischel. Fischel, yeah. Fischel. Who of course played Tabanga on Boy Meets World, and so which which like, if you're in like the wrestling bubble, like this was not some secret. Like they would go to PWG shows and stuff. Yeah, most people aren't in the wrestling bubble. Most people don't know who Jensen Carp is, and I guess, I guess was, yeah, I guess it's quite the the realization when this this story blows up, and then you realize this guy's married to Topanga Lawrence. And, and and I guess there was some like hilarity that ensued with like this being a story about shrimp. With a dude named Carp married to a woman named Fish. Right. Um, there's all that. And then, like, the guy kept going in the bag and apparently found what looked to be rat poop on one of his uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch crunches. So it just – it was a bad look, unfortunately, for General Mills. And uh, it it became a big Twitter thing. So that was somewhat wrestling-related. All right. Well, there you go. That is uh, – I literally just found out about this, like, halfway through – a dynamite tonight so i figured uh you could piece that one together of what what uh what is all going on well on that note uh we are going to sign off so thanks to everybody for joining us um i hope you don't discover anything if you're a cinnamon toast crunch consumer or maybe you do want to find something in there i don't know um not rat poop or friend ever tell you my friend's kfc story no please this is pre-Twitter. 
because my friend would have been a monstrous celebrity by by this measure. He got KFC, and one of the pieces of chicken was not chicken. Dude, it was a uh, no. This is not. You're not going where I think you're going, are you? A battered, like full of batter, mouse. Oh my! F- you're joking. Holy shit! That's that's like that. That'll shut that company down. Like Dude, if- I told them at the time. It was like they didn't even call KFC to complain about it. Okay, this is pre-social media. Okay, that's that's what you did when you got a mouse in your oh KFC. My God, yeah, uh, that's like the worst. That's the worst. That'll scare me off a of fried chicken for life. I don't care if you're Mary Brown. I don't care if you're Popeyes, churches. I'm not. I'm that. That would be it. That's horrifying. Is that why you're not a fan? I'm not a fan because I I have eaten twice at KFC in my life and gotten food poisoning. So that was enough for me to be like, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. Actually, that's not how the saying goes. But hey, it was I was the fool both times. (laughs) Um, that's horrible. I'm sorry. Sorry for your friend. Uh, did he? You know my friend, actually. Really? He didn't. He didn't bite into it, did he? I don't think so. They realized what it was. But anyway, it was a story he he always told my friends and he was I, – I, I believed him. Like he was – this is not a friend that like made stuff up. So anyway. I believe it too. How can you like quality control like so many restaurants with people making minimum wage? You know? Like I – yeah, we should be questioning what we put in our bodies. But anyway, well, um, we usually save the horrifying food stories for Fridays but a bonus for everybody on a Wednesday night. Yeah. Say goodbye. Go have a drink of water and maybe a banana. Stay safe. Good night, everyone. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.